Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, back to another episode of Around the Coin. We have Ethan Austin here today, and Ethan is the managing director at Techstars, that's partnering with Western Union. And pre-show, we were just talking about uh, the effect, of course, of the virus, but you guys don't seem to be too affected. You're still moving forward with the program. Um, Ethan, you want to give me a little recap as to what you're working on, what Techstars and Western Union are, are, are building over there? Yeah, sure. Uh, yes, we're still 100% moving forward with the program, albeit this year, uh, 90% chance it's going to be remote, and that's what we're planning for. Um, the program starts in mid-July, so... We'll see where things are at that point, but but um, we're planning at this point to do a remote program. Um, as as far as the program goes, uh, you know, TechStars, we're one of about 50 different TechStars programs around the world. Two-thirds of them are uh, corporate programs or vertical programs like, like ours with Western Union. So we focus a lot on payments. Uh, we focus a lot on uh, consumer fintech, um, things around financial inclusion, and um, early-stage companies. Pre-seed and seed company. So, how does it work with Western Union? Are they uh, funding the program in hopes that one of the companies could be bought by Western Union, or is it? Are they partnering with Western Union, or how, how specifically does Western Union look at at the program? Yeah, I think they're looking at it from a stance of innovation, right? So, Western Union's been around for 165 years. They've they've weathered storms like this before. They've seen all sorts of you know upturns and downturns in the economy. Pandemics is probably not their first or last pandemic. Um, but they're thinking about how do we think about the future? And so if they get to work with 10 companies a year and see, you know, hundreds of companies that we're talking to in like the sourcing process, um, they get to learn about what should we be thinking about for the future? Um, and so I think it's just a good learning opportunity for Western Union. Um, a lot of the companies will end up doing a partnership with Western Union. So I think last year, seven of the 10 did a pilot with Western Union. I think probably four of those will turn into like commercial long-term relationships. Um, so there's opportunities there. I don't know about M&A down the road. That's it's too far down the road. We've only run one program so far. Um, but Western Union invests through Techstars in all of these companies. So they have a vested interest in seeing the companies succeed. So they'll do everything in, on their end to try and make them successful once once we've invested in them. Interesting. 
And what's so I, I just Google Western Union is uh, valued at seven point nine billion dollars, and they've been relatively flat stock price for ten years. What's what's the inside of Western Union look like? They're they're one of the behemoth old school companies in the payments world. What's what's like their culture or m- most valuable assets that they have that that keep them around for one hundred and sixty years? Yeah, well, I mean, they haven't actually been doing. They've been in there, so they're the leader um, in remittances, and which is a, just like a gigantic, I think, like eight hundred billion dollar year industry. And even as the leaders, you know, they own maybe 12, 13, 14% market share, right? This is a very fragmented space. Um, and, and, and that has only been, I think, the last 40 years for them. Before that, they've done everything from like launch satellites to, as people know, like Telegram. So I think the key for them is just kind of like an IBM, right? You're, you're not going to be doing the same thing today that you're doing 30, 30 years from now. Um, and remittances... You know, as a business, like in most transactional businesses, um, you know, margins are going to get driven down. And so Western Union, sorry. Oh, thank you, kiddo. I got my daughter. We got a, we got a COVID interruption. <laughs> I got my, my daughter came in and brought me some Play-Doh. Nice. Yeah, totally. Um, so the, I don't know where I was going now. I got a little distracted. But um, uh, yeah, they're not going to be doing the same thing in 30 years. Who knows? Um you know, remittances are the the margins on remittances are, are going to continue to to probably get driven down over the next 10, 20 years, I think, just like anything else. Yeah. And so, you know, something within Western Union, I think that's pretty neat is that they're always thinking of like, what, what does the future look like? They're making most of their money from, you know, a, a, a few products right now. And they're trying to think like, what are other products uh, that we could think about for the future? Um, and so like one thing I think that, you know, they made a big move last year where the person who was running their digital business, you know, which was a, a growing, the fastest growing part of their business, but, you know, a relatively small part of their business, right? Western Union is traditionally uh, dealt with like a lot of cash businesses and retail businesses. And they, that person is now in charge of all of their consumer business. So now is running like, let's say 90% of their business. So I think just that shift in mentality is is kind of that you know that that mainstay of, of innovation and kind of trying to stay ahead of the curve of where things are going to go. That's pretty interesting. I'd imagine that blockchain has to be and crypto companies have to be uh, front and center to some some degree. Um, are they? Do they have they invested in crypto companies or how are they? Not necessarily just Western Union, maybe, but have you seen other companies that are like? I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say threatening to them, even though I'm sure they are to some degree, but opportunistic like. How do how do they or how do you sort of see remittances changing with regard to crypto companies coming out in the next X number of years? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't pretend to to know the answer to that question. I think it's important uh, whether you're bullish or bearish on it. I think it's it's worthwhile to have, especially if you're you know a big remittance company right now, to to have some exposure to that. Right, whether you're whether you're bullish on it and you think it's going to be the thing that changes everything, or you're bearish on it, it's nice to have some hedges in case you're wrong. Um, so I, I won't I won't pretend to know yeah. the answer to that one, but yeah, it's certainly going to you know we're seeing it, you see a ton of it, right? Um, and, it, and it certainly has the possibility to to really disrupt things, but it's just impossible to tell right totally. now. Totally. So so what's your like day to day as a managing director at TechStars and at this point. Yeah, that, that 
that changes, I think, from season to season. So like the the over the big overview is like for you know the last three months, um, our applications were open. They closed today, uh, or actually yesterday. Um, and so for the last three months, it's going out and meeting companies, you know, in in spaces. You know, we went on road trips to you know throughout the U.S. and you know different different countries. We had some that got canceled as COVID obviously started to become much more of a thing. Um, and so lots of phone calls, lots of, you know, I say I'm a professional coffee you know, <laughs> meeting taker. Uh, yeah, I think that's the day-to-day for three months. Um, and then program starts. Um, and the day-to-day there is, is kind of like, a, I don't know, it's kind of like therapist slash summer camp counselor, right? <laughs> um, you know, I think that's, you, you know, you're helping the companies with all their problems, but they also have, I mean, like their business problems, but they also have a hundred mentors to help them with that. And so as a managing director, you're often just trying to be a human, right? As people are going through hard stuff and just trying to be a person who's there to listen to, you know, to, to folks. So I think that's, you know, I'd say cheerleader, therapist, summer camp counselor, you know, in like 10% class clown. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of the summer. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I went through the, the Techstars Cedars Sinai program and uh, Matt Kozlov was the managing director and he was just awesome. Yeah. I feel like he was a camp counselor at heart and just leading through the program and having like, you know, once a week you have uh, taco Tuesday or each different company presents, um, you know, they choose a dinner and then they kind of orchestrate the metrics for the week. I feel like there's a, a, a great aspect of the Techstars brand that is lighthearted and not overly serious, which is uh, hugely uh, a, a, just super important for founders because everything else is, it feels like. So I imagine you run it in a similar way. Yeah. yeah you, you know, you try to be right. Like when everyone's going through, I mean, it's not an easy program. You're running in your company. And then on top of that, you're going through this program, you know, so you're doing one at one in the day and one at night. And so if there's ever opportunities just to kind of create some levity and, and ease the tension, um, you try to do so. Yeah, that's interesting. What have you seen from the best um, managing directors out there that you've learned from? Like, what are they doing different or? I, I think everyone has their own style, right? No one, no one does things the same way. I mean, a lot of it is in, you know, there's only so much you can do to help the companies, right? You, you know, I, I think there's a narrow band of things you can do, right? And you can help them um, on strategy, right? You can help them on sales. You can, you know, you obviously can help them with fundraising. Um, and, and to some degree, I think it's hard. You can help them with hiring. Um, and then I guess like being a, I, I think a lot of it again is being a therapist or just being someone to bounce ideas off of, um, as they're going through different things. But I think they're all, I think they're all different. I think a lot of the, you know, there's things you could do in portfolio management, but there's a lot of stuff that, you know, they some of the best MDs it's around picking the companies. Um, and I think that's where there's probably still the most to learn in like, how do you pick great companies and like, how do you anticipate whether, you know, when we pick companies so early, it's not as much on, you know, a trend in the market as it is on, these are great founders. Um, and with some, you know, maybe a glimpse of what the market and the future might look like. Um, and every, every MD, I think there has different points of view, right? So some will only, 
pick companies with lots of traction. It's almost like a Warren Buffett, you know, value investing style um, because you're everyone's coming into the program at the kind of the same, you know, it's not like, you know, the same valuation, the same deal kind of. So if you get companies further along, you know, you're getting a great deal. Um, other other uh, MDs, you know, and I kind of trend the other direction is like, I don't care how much traction a company has. Um, I, I, I want to look at what their potential is. Um, and I won't pretend to think I know, you know, how big a market is. I think we constantly underestimate how big markets will be and everyone all, you know, usually pivots. Um, so I'm mostly looking for, you know, founders, I think, that are going to run through walls and keep keep trying things and keep pivoting and because no one really gets it right the first time and oftentimes the second time. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Uh, so you can't talk about the companies you have at this point, right? Because they're all just still in the interviewing process. You haven't released anything. Yeah, we haven't. We, we just closed our applications yesterday. Um, and so we, I, we, we don't have any companies picked out yet. We're just kind of talking to them now. Got it. Got it. Got it. Do you, do you have any that are interesting from, uh, either this batch or past batches folks that you think are, are really onto a, a meaningful mission and traction? Yeah. Um, sure. Uh, we have a company, um, called store cash from our last class that's, um, almost like a Venmo for the unbanked. If you think about that, um, if you have, a, you know, a Venmo account, you have to have a bank account in order to spend the cash. Um, and so, uh, this company has thought of a way to allow people to transfer money to, to others who might not have a bank account. So you can send, instead of getting cash, if you're going to send money to, you know, your mom to go to Costco or to go to Whole Foods or to your kid or to your cousin to get like a pair of Nikes or whatever it might be. Um, you send them money and, and it shows up on their phone as through a digital gift card through like to like 200 retailers, including like Amazon. So you could spend it just about anywhere, uh, but without having to have a bank account, which, you know, a huge, huge amount of people in the United States don't actually have. Um, so that company, uh, I, I'm really excited about that company because um, I think it just opens up the market for a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise kind of be entering digital economy and still using cash. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. That's fascinating. And did you say this is the second year running this? This will be the second year of the program. Yeah. Okay, cool. So the companies that came out of it last year were, I'm just looking online. Uh, was that, I assume they were in the last batch. Yeah. Yeah. That company was in the last batch. Awesome. And how many companies usually go through about 10? Yeah. 10, 10 per class. We keep it small, so there's kind of a lot of uh, one-on-one time. Interesting. Huh. What do you think about uh, U.S. versus international when it comes to, say, even just this space of uh, finance, crypto, generally? Is it is it mostly in the U.S. Ha- happening, or is it just completely all across the globe? We're looking across the globe. Last year, we had four of our 10 companies come from outside the U.S., and we had a company from Mexico, a company from Canada, two from India. Uh, we're looking you know, a lot in LATAM this year, looking a lot in, in Africa. Um, I think a lot of the innovation you look, I mean, you just look at like, you know, our, our rails in the United States and, and like the, the fact that everyone else in the world is, is further along in real time payments than, than we are. And we, you know, and, and you look at, you know, other things like, you know, digital payments, right? Like, you know, that we're using credit cards here and everyone else has le- kind of leapfrogged us. Um, 
And so I think there's tons and tons of opportunity in emerging markets um, outside the U.S. There's just less infrastructure. There's fewer incumbents. Um, there's less big players who are going to get in the way of innovation and, and things changing. So we, we think there's tons of opportunity outside the U.S. And, and so like our class will probably be split 50-50-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the breakdown we're looking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. U.S. is a fascinating market. I mean, I feel like uh, healthcare and, and finance have a similar sort of uh, over entrenched regulatory system, like the whole money transmitter laws where every state has their own individual money transmitter laws. And there's really not much from a collective federal level. And so companies who want to extend, expand across the U S you know, they either go through like hoops and ladders to try to not be a money transmitter, or they go through and apply yeah. state by state, which, you know, last I looked into, it was on the order of like a million dollars <throat> for the, um, you know, all the applications and to go through that process, which is just, it's, it's like, it's just unnecessarily uh, cumbersome to go through so many regulations. And I, I understand it, but it just seems that the U S is in many ways, like just shooting ourselves in the foot with the, with the level of regulatory burden that's put on. And that just might be handed down through the decades, you know? Yeah. It just kind of gets layered on top. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I'm relatively new to fintech, so I'm seeing a lot of this for the first time in the last year or so. And it's just like, there's so many startups, you know, I, I came from a background of, as an entrepreneur of like consumer. So like we launched something, you know, there was an unregulated space and it, it was up. It didn't work really, but it was up and the public <laughs> could use it. You know? What was, tell me a little bit about um, that. What, what were you doing previous to this? So I had started a company called Give Forward uh, back in 2008 with uh, my co-founder and partner, Desiree Vargas Wrigley. And um, we were in the, uh, it wasn't called crowdfunding at the time. Um, it was 2008, as we called it peer-to-peer fundraising at the time. And we were doing it for people's medical expenses, raising, allowing people to raise money for their friend or a loved one with cancer or an injury and really trying to help people help their friends kind of give them a way to help them in their like the most critical moments. Um, it would become, you know, a couple of years later, it would become what, what we're, you know, is now known as, as crowdfunding as, as um, Kickstarter launch and GoFundMe launch. And a few years later, there's about a thousand crowdfunding platforms. Um, but we went, we went through Techstars as well, actually um, in 2010. Um, and so we did that for from 2010 to about 2016. 2000, so six years. And then it looks like you guys are, no, 2008. Sorry, 2008 to 2016. It's 2000. Since Techstars, it was 2000. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. so eight years. Yeah, it was a long, a long chunk of time. Yeah, nice. So, uh, what an amazing mission, by the way. I mean, that's like probably the the best uh, <laughs> best best mission I've I've ever heard. I mean, to help people save, you know, save themselves in uh, in healthcare and raise money. That's a, such a huge stress for so many people. Uh, you guys were bought by GoFundMe, is that right? Or no. Yeah, We ended up getting a, uh, like when I say acquired, you're, you can't see the air quotes that are here. Um, <laughs> our acquisition, our acquisition was not, you know, it was not a good acquisition. We were on our path to an acquisition um, from one of our strategic investors, and and then one day Facebook kind of ripped out the the the, the floor from under us. Or the rug, I guess, from under us. Maybe the floor too. It was a pretty brutal really? ripping out. Um, they changed the algorithms, and we got eighty percent of our traffic and revenue from 
from people sharing on Facebook. And overnight, we lost 25% of our revenue. So what did Facebook do? They just ripped out the ability to connect. They changed the algorithm so that everyone shared these things on Facebook. Um, We rode, we all rode. Crowdfunding would not exist with Facebook. Between like 2008 and, you know, 2016, you know, Facebook, if you think about how much Facebook grew from like a couple hundred users or a couple hundred million users to like close to 2 billion, we all rode the backs of Facebook. And at the same time, people are sharing more on Facebook, right? Like back in the days, there was a wall right before the concept of a feed. And that concept of the feed just exploded and, you know, and and allowed all these crowdfunding platforms to really expand. And so we, we all kind of rode the back, you know, the backs of, of, of like Facebook and the growth that they were seeing, but they changed the algorithm. And so our, our, you know, our fundraising pages just kind of stopped showing up in people's feeds the way they did before. And 80% of the donations, the way people would share them was they'd share them on Facebook or they'd share them through email. Um, and 80, you know, and, when they stopped showing up, we kind of lost 25% of our revenue overnight. And that dropped to a 75% loss over the next, you know, nine months. Wow. And so like, oh, it was just like a cliff. And so, so we ended up, it was, it was kind of, it was a brutal ending after, after eight years. And we ended up, you know, really just kind of selling, you know, for nothing to, to one of our competitors who rolled up a bunch of other crowdfunding platforms and then sold to GoFundMe. Uh, and is GoFundMe, I mean, is crowdfunding still happening on a big scale like it used to, or, or did Facebook destroy the whole model? No, Facebook, so Facebook, Facebook tried to recruit us to become product managers for, uh, they were starting a social good team. Um, and so they were trying to recruit us to become product managers to, to help kind of build out that team. And then a year later, they built the exact same product that we had built, um, but I don't think that product's ever been successful on Facebook. I mean, I think Facebook does that with a lot of products. They, you know, some are some are really successful, others aren't so much um, in trying to replicate other things out in the market. So GoFundMe is still, I think, far and away the biggest player in the space. I don't think Facebook is really. My, my gut is I don't think they're doing much um, compared to what GoFundMe does. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of a seems like a bit of a shame that Facebook would. Uh... I mean, I guess whatever their goals were with making that change were in some ways better for users. Maybe it seems like that was, I kind of remember Facebook having a sharp decline, at least anecdotally with people I know around 2015, 16, I feel like somewhere in that timeframe where it, it, it largely shifted so quickly from Facebook being the default social network to Instagram. I think is where yeah. most people are now. Uh, yeah, it's yep. crazy how fast that went. I think it just got super noisy. I mean, like there was a you know there's a million like they they succumbed kind of into their own growth, right? And it just got a little bit far afield from where it started. Yeah, huh? Interesting. So you you said no to Facebook, and then uh, no, we, we didn't say no to Facebook. We tried to get them to buy us. We're like, well, don't just recruit <laughs> us as you know. As like product managers, why don't you just buy the company? And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> so. Uh, that was a really sad ending, right? Like we, you know, we were growing for years and then all of a sudden, like everything just kind of disappeared overnight, which, which, you know, we ended up putting $200 million in people's pockets and, and we, we saved thousands of lives. And, you know, I think more than the lives saves, we, like we changed a lot of lives of, of people who were really like, you know, in their worst moment, all of a sudden 
friends, family, and, and strangers were saying, Hey, we love, we, we love you. We got you. You're, we're supporting you. And, and it's like this pretty magical moment and life changing for some people. And that weird, sometimes you need to have something really bad happen to you to, to realize how much you're loved. Um, that was the magical part of, of, of the company, I think. Um, so we got to do that for eight years, right? And we got to help create this category that lived on through GoFundMe. Um, you know, they ended up doing the same thing and just did, did a lot better. Mm. Um, we ended up creating this whole category, which was pretty awesome. And, and, and now I think 20 million people have used, not on our platform, but on any platform, a medical crowdfunding page. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the exit never happened, which was a pretty big bummer. But everything else was was pretty great about the experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just just even wrapping it where you guys did to have such a huge impact is pretty, pretty awesome. There's not many companies that feel that same way. Uh, so, yeah, congrats. Even, you know, you can't change things you have no control over. Facebook's algorithm being <laughs> being one of them. Uh, I'm curious, did you start that from a personal experience or some sort of thing that or frustration with yours? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So my my co-founder, um, she she started it uh, after um, witnessing Hurricane Katrina and 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 feeling like she and her uh, coworkers, she was at the Kauffman Foundation at the time, like wanted to give directly to people as opposed to giving to like the Red Cross where they didn't know where their money was going to go. And so that's that was kind of her idea. And then you know separately, I had an idea around. Um, my dad had died from cancer when I was a kid. So, um, you know, I was doing a marathon during law school and, and raising money for, you know, a cancer organization. And they gave me a fundraising page. This is like maybe 2006 or seven and, um, was able to raise so much money on this fundraising page. And, you know, I didn't even have Facebook at the time, honestly, it was like just emailing people and, and then handing out flyers in the street in DC, running up, running up and down DC as wearing a banana costume to get people to, to donate. And, uh, and that seemed to work. And, and I kind of thought, well, this is, this was fun, a lot more fun than law school. Um, and so I thought maybe there's something here. And, and honestly, like, you know, I was raising money for children's cancer and my dad died from colon cancer. And I was like, I'd, wouldn't it be great if I could raise money for colon cancer instead? And this tool would be great if, if you could raise money for any cause. And honestly, I wasn't thinking about medical like personal medical expenses at the time. And we kind of pivoted into that a little bit. Um, I was really thinking, you know, it would be a great tool for people to raise money for anything that they care about. Um, you know, so we launched, that's the business we launched, which uh, kind of sucked, <laughs> you know, to be honest, we did 6,000 in revenue our first year. It just wasn't working when a number of users on the site were using it for medical expenses and, and after about a year, we got into Techstars. Um, we, it was this, what I call the slowest pivot in the history of pivots. We pivoted into kind of leaning hard into medical expenses where people were, A, raising more money, um, and B, just so much more passionate about it than people raising money for nonprofits. So um, that was, it was kind of a, just like every other company pivots as we kind of pivoted into that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And uh so afterwards, you guys then, or I guess you personally decided to, did you go straight into Techstars after that? Or did you? I took a year off and went traveling with uh, my wife to South America. We knew we were going to have kids. And so we're like, let's let's go travel for, for a bit. Um, nice. After eight years of running a startup, you just kind of needed a, oh, yeah. a break. Where'd you guys we go? traveled for a bit. 
we went, uh, we started in Colombia, um, and the goal was to make it all the way down to Patagonia. Um, a mountain and a hospital got in the way in Bolivia. And so it, <laughs> we, ended up, we ended up in Bolivia in a Bolivian hospital for three days. And I was like, I think that was, that was the end of the trip, <laughs> but from Colombia all the way down to Bolivia. Solid. Very solid. Cool. So then you survived, you came back. I imagine when you guys got sick or were you hurt from a, a fall? Yeah, it was, it was a combination deal. It was a, it was a trifecta deal where I was trying to climb a 20,000 foot mountain and that, it, and it's a really high mountain, but like, I don't want to make it sound crazier than it was. Like they say it's one of the easiest mountains that people can climb. That's the, of that height. And also like any Yahoo tourists like myself, you know, they allowed them to do it. So it's not like I'm some crazy mountaineer. Let's just put that out there. But, um, I tried to do it in two days. I had a board meeting is what happened. Wow. And I had a board meeting. We were staying, we were, we were supposed to move up to the next city and we were going out to the Atacama desert. Um, and we, we already had our bus out there. And so like, instead of doing it in three days, which you're supposed to do the climb in, they said I could do it in two days. And, um, I ended up getting acute altitude sickness. And then on, t- on top of that, I had, um, salmonella. So like food poisoning oh, and, and when I got to the hospital, they're like, you also have a chest infection and a parasite. <laughs> so oh I had, I had a, it was a wild experience. I thought I was going to, I thought I was dying. Jesus. Like I just, I was not well. Um, and so I was fine after like a day as you know, they, they kept me for a couple of days, but I was on oxygen and IV and, you know, fluids and, you know, a couple of days later I was, yeah. I was fine, but it, it was a scary moment for sure. Huh. And you made the board meeting. I mean, the board meeting, yeah, that was that was the regret, That's the right? Important like, part, yeah, you know? <laughs> that was the important part, yeah. Be there for the board meeting, right? Uh, yeah, I guess I made the board meeting, um, and but stupidly, you know, decided to climb up the mountain. Uh, and and the thing is, you're you're attached to all these other people, so you don't want to be, you know, the weenie who says I need to turn back. Which you know, in in hindsight, it was such a dumb decision uh, to keep going when clearly I was like dying. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. Oh, guys, I'm, I'm heading back. Sorry. Yeah, good call. Well, glad to see you survived that one. It didn't need to go and raise crowdfunding for it. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, I imagine after that you got you came back, and then uh, how did you land back with TechStars on the on the other side of the table as a director? Yeah. Uh, so we had one of our angel investors was. Uh, a guy named David Cohen, who who was the CEO and founder of TechStars, um, and I think as I was calling everyone, you know, as 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 the company is like, you know, imploding, um, you know, and he says, "What are you going to do next? Like, would you ever want to work at TechStars?" And I was like, "I don't know. Like, I'm going to take a year off, right?" And so that was always kind of, you know, in the back of my mind, but it was also like, yeah, that'd be great. But I don't even know where we're going to live. Like we were looking to live either in San Francisco, Portland or LA. Um, and you know, so it was like, sure, maybe. And then, so we we decided on LA, um, not without having jobs. So then we started looking for jobs in LA and, um, I was looking at some startups to, you know, early stage startups. I was looking at a, a nonprofit, um, that was working in prison reform. Um, and I almost took 
you know, one of those roles. Is that uh, and then uh, the startup that or the the nonprofit that that invites people to go into prisons? Yeah, it's called the Five Ventures. The Five Ventures, yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost did that yeah. actually. I have a bunch of friends who did that. It said it's pretty transformational, like an amazing experience. It, it's awesome. It, it is. It is really really cool organization. And I take, you know, I didn't end up joining the company, but I end up taking all of our tech stars classes every year to prison. And it's always the most powerful day for them. It's just, um, it's just, I, it's humanizing. I think it's eye opening to, you know, it just, it just makes you realize that we're all the same. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I, I, you know, awesome organization and was super close to, to jumping in with them. And this tech stars thing came around and they said, Hey, we're launching tech stars LA. Um, you know, we thought we we're going to launch it in six months from now, but we're launching it earlier than we thought. Would you want to get involved? And so it was really just, you know, kind of right place at the right time and random um, that it was happening right as right as I was looking for a role in L.A. So uh, we helped launch Techstars L.A., did that for two years. Um, and then uh, this program was launching here in Denver and we, we weren't going to go anywhere besides LA. We, my wife and I were kind of finally, after a year, like we had no friends for a year. And then after a year, we'd finally made friends and we were like, oh, we're in a great spot. So the, right after we kind of felt good in LA and like, we're just really feeling comfortable, we decided to pick up and move to Denver. So that was the last day uh, we moved out to Denver. Nice. Well, that's a, de- yeah, definitely a change. Definitely a shift. But you're in, are you in Denver or Boulder? We're in Denver. Yeah. So there's, there's a program in Boulder. And then uh, two programs, two Techstars programs in Denver. And is that is Techstars still running uh, Techstars LA and city specific, or are they mostly focusing on the uh, partnerships with corporations? So, so the, about two thirds of the Techstars programs are corporate, um, but then there's still a third of them are city programs that are just vertical agnostic. You know, you get everything from CPG to you know satellite technology applying. Yeah, that's interesting. What's what's the what's the inside of TechStars look like? Like, is the ambition to just reproduce this model, either independently running accelerators or in partnership with companies all over the world? And uh, I mean, I know that's their broader ambition to help accelerate and provide a an on ramp for entrepreneurs. But are they thinking about anything else, or is that generally the the long term focus to just stick to that? No, I think, I think long-term, like, you know, and I'm, I'm probably, someone's probably going to kill me because I have like, I have no idea if this is what, yeah, you know, off the record. Yeah, this isn't, this isn't what we want to do at all. But, um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's a couple important pieces. One is like, you know, trying, trying to create more, um, equity within, in, within the startup space. So like, you know, like I said, our program's open to, you know, people around the world and 40% of our companies came from overseas last year. 50% of our CEOs last year were black Latinx or female. So like creating opportunities, um, you know, I think for, for overlooked founders, I think is important long-term. Um, I think from a macro perspective, you know, I think where tech stars would love to be is, you know, an, an asset class. If you look at, if you look at um, public investing over, you know, the last decade, you know, decade or like last 30 years, like, you know, companies used to go public so much sooner, right? So like Microsoft, all the people who made money on Microsoft weren't the early stage investors. It was the public, you know, Microsoft, I think went public for a couple hundred million dollars, right? So that huge hockey stick 
was all public equities. And that isn't the case anymore where so much of a growth of a company you have, you know, Uber going public at whatever, 50 or $80 billion. And all these companies stay in private for so much longer, but the public's no longer able to capture any of that, um, you know, that, that equity. Um, and so I think what tech stars, you know, would, would ideally like to do in, in you know, long term is be an asset class for the public to invest in startups, right? And, and allow the public to invest in, you know, in companies and capture some of that, those gains that traditionally just venture capitalists are able to gain. Oh, that's fascinating. And so that, that's a ways away, right? Like in order to do that, we'd have to have tons and tons and tons of accelerator programs and just enough capital that needs to be deployed you know, when you think of like a fidelity or someone huge like that, they deploy so much more capital than, than, you know, even like all venture like combined. Right. You know, so, um, you know, so I think we would have to grow a lot to get there, but I think that would be kind of a long-term goal of, of what if we could provide that for public markets? Yeah. It doesn't seem too far away. I mean, I think of it as like you're on the, if you picture the spectrum of the startup experience or the just company experience, you capture the, the first, you know, third of a startup's life. And then there's the middle third, which is traditional VC. And then the last third, which is now like the vision fund with SoftBank. Uh, and, and, you know, the reason Uber <clears throat> and these companies can get to such massive scale pre-IPO is there are these, you know, huge funds now raising like Series D, Series E, $100 million rounds. And it seems like that would be, yeah, I don't know how that shakes out, but that's a, that's the other side of the spectrum. Yeah, it does seem like the the earlier side is just not exposed uh, to the public at all. I know actually one of our old investors, Chamath uh, at Social Capital, created a SPAC, which is like a reverse IPO. So they have a I don't know if you know about this, but he created this. Uh, it's like a container basically. So they IPO to shell company. I forget the name of it. I'm sure I could find it in a minute, but it's a shell company that then invests in startups or any, any size company. And then, then you then can buy that publicly traded asset and own a piece of the company. So it's actually the same Mm -hmm. structure that Warren Buffett uses when he invests in companies, which is pretty interesting. It's almost like, I wouldn't call it a loophole. I think that that's the intention of it, but it seems like an underutilized, um, you know, capital structure, I'd call it. Yeah. I mean, I I think, yeah. Giving people access to like, you know, opportunities that other people, they've traditionally been locked out of. It seems like a, a, a good win-win for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So um, on this program you're running now, uh, hopefully we can we can push this out and, and this will be live very soon uh, and people can still apply. If they can, what are the people that are listening to this and thinking, should I do an accelerator? Should, is Techstars, Western Union, the accelerator for me? How did you pinpoint exactly the, the startups uh, that should consider applying or joining? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, we look for three startups in three different areas. Um, one is payments startups, right? Western unions is in the remittance space. So people who are doing interesting things in payments and particularly um, international payments. Um, so that's the first area. We look for um, a lot of companies in the second bucket, just of like FinTech and payments infrastructure, it's like all the unsexy, you know, back the plumbing and guts that kind of make all these things work. 
um, is just like, that's a huge area of focus for us. And then um, a third area of focus is really around financial inclusion and um, products, consumer products and services um, uh, that would, you know, that Western unions, 150 million users around the world might be able to use. Um, and so what are, you know, kind of, like I said before, around like that company store cash, that's allowing people to transfer money digitally, even if they don't have a bank account and there's, you know, billions of people who are unbanked and, and even in, and underbanked. And so what are products and services for those populations? Um, so those are three kind of big areas that we look at from a stage perspective. Um, uh, usually we'll, we'll, we'll take companies that are, you know, anywhere like I'd say the norms are anywhere from like zero raise to like 3 million. Um, the further along you are, the, um, the, there are two benefits to like a Techstars program is one, like you're in this program and you get, there's the mentorship aspect and then there's the access aspect. So like people are kind of pushing for you um, and want you to win. It's like an alumni network where you have 10,000 people who just say, yeah, I want this company to win and I'm going to do everything I can to kind of introduce you to the right folks in terms of sales and, and fundraising and partnerships. Um, and all, along that, you know, that spectrum, the partnership side, I think companies that are a little bit further along, um, one of the things they're, you know, more interested is as they come into the program is what is the opportunity for me to partner with Western Union and to really scale my product, you know, worldwide. Hmm. So earlier stage companies, they're looking for, you know, more mentorship because, you know, they're like, what the hell are we doing? What is our product? What's our go-to-market strategy? And and how can I leverage that? The later the companies are, they're, the more they're thinking about access, I think. And, you know, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I have a clear sense of where I'm going. How can I leverage Techstars Network to connect me to the people, you know, I need to be connected to to scale this thing? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Techstars is such a fascinating uh, model. Like, I, I think they came out of, uh, it started in Boulder, right? started in Boulder as just an individual accelerator. And then the corporate partnership was something that was added on later. Uh, I'm just curious the history on that, like how uh, Techstars started. So why? So it started, yeah, it started, um, it started in Boulder in 2000, I think seven was the first class. Uh, David Cohn was running it the first year. Um, and it worked, right? Like they, you know, startups, startups are hard now, but startups back then were even harder. Like think back to 2007, it was just like, there weren't resources for you. And so they said, how can we make this a little bit easier for folks? And, you know, we can bring in, there was already a pretty good, you know, entrepreneurial community in Boulder, but they weren't coming together. So they brought them all together for a summer in kind of like a basement in Boulder. It was kind of like a dungeon type place. I think it was a bunker or something. And, uh, you know, it's just like very low budget, but they just brought good people together and they helped them out and like, oh, this worked. Um, you know, and so they did that for a bit. I think, you know, when I got to Techstars in 2017, I think there's maybe 25 or 26 programs and now there's like 50. Um, over time, as you mentioned, like more of, more and more of them became corporate programs um, as, you know, corporates around the world were thinking the same thing as Western Union. Like we need to figure out, um, you know, innovation and like we want to get ahead of, the curve on things. And so Techstars started doing more and more of those. I think the very first one, um, I want to say it was Microsoft um, with uh, a guy who's at Techstars now still named Dave Drock, who's a, a mentor in our program. And, 
and helped our teams think about how to do sales, which was really helpful. Uh, his tip was basically like camp out in, in the office of where you're trying to, to do sales and just don't leave, um, which worked out really well for, for one of our companies who partnered with Western Union um, by just camping out in their office. So they just let them stay out. in the office. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I say camp out. I mean, like they just kind of just showed up and when not that they wouldn't wouldn't leave like physically, but like they were just there all the time. Oh, that's and funny. So it's, it's so easy. I think it's so easy. Like, you know, if you're trying to sell to a, a fortune 500 or any big company, like, you know, to not be, you know, anyone's number one priority when, you know, you selling to them is like the only priority you have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> so, make or break. Kind of, yeah, exactly. So just kind of being there present having FaceTime, like, you know, making it unavoidable to, to, you know, deprioritize you, I think was a good tip from, from Dave Drock. I think he did the first one with Microsoft. I don't, I don't know all the details around it, but it was, uh, he may have still been at Microsoft and like, you know, before coming to Techstars, I, I can't remember the story around it, but, um, hmm. that was, I think the first one. And, and they said, yeah, there's a model that works. Yeah. And so, and I was, you know, honestly, like I went through Techstars Chicago and which was a city program and then Techstars, you know, LA, we helped launch that. And so like, I was a big believer in the city programs, um, and especially having never worked a real job before and just only done startups. Um, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect with a big corporate partner, but I've, I've been like blown away at how much they've been able to add leverage to all of the companies. So it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like a magical combination. Uh, I'm curious your, your thoughts on the, so the virus now you're, you said you were running the program or the plan is probably to run the program remote. And I'd imagine that's probably pretty consistent across the board with all the programs, or at least that are going on in the near future. Do you think that'll change how they they run even post quarantine? Like, do you think there's an underappreciated remote model where uh, accelerators kind of build a culture around being remote, and then it opens up a new opportunity? I don't I, I don't know where where TechStars goes with this, but I, I can tell you we've already run. We already have a Techstars Anywhere program that's been running remote. I think this is its third or fourth year um, of that program. And and what I can tell you is like when we announced when we went remote that we got an uptick in both the quantity and caliber of applications because I think it's just a much more inclusive program, right? If not everyone can uproot, if you have a family, if you have certain responsibilities, if you have parents you're caring for, um, it's hard to uproot and just leave for three months. So, you know, only a sub segment of the population can do that. And so you end up, you know, over indexing for founders that look like that, right. Or that, that can do that. Um, and so I'm not sure what will happen post COVID. I've no, I can't, can't even imagine, you know, everyone at Techstars on the leadership team has been working so hard and like all they're doing is figuring out COVID stuff right now and have been for the last months. Um, I don't know what it looks like post COVID, but what I'd love to see, even if the programs go back to, you know, hundred uh, percent in person, I'd love to see tech stars just start more virtual programs. Um, because I think, I think if, if we were trying to be inclusive and we're trying to bring opportunities to people who didn't have opportunities you know, to do this otherwise, I think that's just a, it's a model that if we have 50 programs, 
it shouldn't be just two of our programs would be virtual. I think probably more than it should be. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And you got to feel like you're not uh, an outcast by, by being remote. You know, I, I, that's where I think this, this period of time is so special because you're not, you know, you don't have to apply to the remote program. Every program is remote. So it kind of uh, it opens the door. So yeah, I'm curious to see how you guys do. I'll, I'll, I'd love to, you know, support you guys any way I can. Uh, super excited to have you on the show today. And um, yeah, I'd love to keep in touch, Ethan. Yeah, this was awesome. Um, we'll, we can send you guys, um, if any of your listeners are interested in applying, we can send you all an extension link. Our, our uh, applications closed last night, but depending on when this airs, we can get an extension link out and uh, that will be open for a couple, a couple more days. Um, yeah. That I don't know if I'm supposed to be broadcasting that on, on, on here, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, Usually a little a secret extension link, but uh, but maybe just for your listeners, um, you know, if anyone's interested and they can get in contact with me as well, awesome. I'm pretty easy to reach. Ethan.Austin at techstars.com. Cool. And are you active on social, on Twitter or otherwise? Uh, I, I moved, I started moving away from Twitter um, only because it was so noisy and I started doing more stuff on LinkedIn, which is kind of a weird place to be, but I just started um, finding a community there. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and not as active as I used to be on Twitter, kind of the same, uh, that same shift that you're talking about from Facebook to, to Instagram, which was kind of a, a global shift. I made a very micro shift just personally <laughs> to, to LinkedIn. So that's where I'm at most of the time these days. Awesome. Well, we'll include uh, links for that in the show notes and uh, have this up soon. All right, man. Well, I'll talk to you soon. And this is a really great show. Cool. It was awesome talking to you. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the hosts, co-hosts, and guests appearing on the show and do not necessarily reflect the view of the owners and producers of the show. Paid advertisements in form of audio announcements may appear throughout the show, including this one. Advertising can also include print and other digital formats. The owners and producers of Around the Coin do not endorse or evaluate the advertised product, service, or company, nor any of the claims made by the advertisement. All programs are subject to a one-time charge for professional editing fees, for which the interviewing guest or guests may have contributed towards. The owners, producers, hosts, co-hosts, and guests on the show are not financial advisors. Any investment advice or opinion cited during the show is for information purposes only. None of the content is intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for investment advice. If you believe there's been any violation of your copyright, trademark, service mark, or any other type of intellectual property, please inform us in writing by sending an email to legal at aroundthecoin.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, and more. The handler one day told her this whole thing about how they've been terraforming on Mars and they're building a colony and they're recruiting specific people of specific bloodlines and specific talents and skill sets to go onto the planet. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.